Hello, plantpreneurs, and welcome to Series 4 of the Plant-Based Business Podcast, brought to you by the team at Vivolution. I'm Eric Amundsen, your co-host and co-founder at Vivolution. And I'm Damien Clarkson. You will know me from previous seasons if you listened. I'm also going to be co-hosting the occasional episode in Season 4. I'm excited to welcome Eric to the podcast as we expand Vivolution and have reached the listeners around the world. Over the last year, Vivolution has built the world's leading plant-based and cell ag network and investment marketplace. On the show each week, we explore what it takes to create and scale a plant-based business. We'll interview the best entrepreneurs and investors who are building solutions for a better and kinder world. Thanks for joining us. Tune in each week to be inspired by entrepreneurial stories, tips for fundraising for your business, state of the industry insights from leading investors, and success stories from Vivolution's new investment marketplace. Eric here. Thanks for tuning in. I want to take a minute to tell you about our sponsor, Moonshot Collaborative. What's the single biggest factor in the success of your business? Your customers. And without any feedback and buy-in from them on your most important business decisions, it's easy to make expensive mistakes. And that's where Moonshot Collaborative comes in. They're a consumer research firm focused exclusively on actionable, affordable insights on plant-based consumers. As a member of the plant-based business community, I know the challenges that plant-based and alternative protein startups face when it comes to consumer research. The options are usually super expensive and not really focused on the people actually buying those plant-based products. But Moonshot Collaborative offers a solution uniquely tailored to startups in this space. Not only is their research cost-effective and action-oriented, but every member of their panel has purchased a plant-based meat, egg, or dairy product in the 90 days prior to signing up. Moonshot Collaborative has a solution to fit any budget. You can choose from custom research or multi-client surveys that offer group pricing, or maybe you need in-depth reports on the beliefs and behaviors of these key consumers. So if you're a startup looking to learn more about your customers, you can use code VIVOLUTION to get 20% off your first five survey questions with Moonshot Collaborative. That's V-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N, VIVOLUTION, to get 20% off your first five survey questions. Just head to moonshotcollaborative.com to get started. Eric Amundsen here, and today I'm joined by Sadra Shadel, co-founder and chief creative officer of No Evil Foods. Sadra, how are you doing today? I am doing really well. How are you, Eric? I'm doing good. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yeah. Are you are you still in Asheville area? Yeah. So our company is uh, it started in Asheville. It is headquartered in Asheville. We have a remote team now. I think we sort of dispersed across the country during COVID. And I think that that's just kind of where our company, like many others, will settle in being more of a remote team. Um, we discovered that um, I think we were really resistant to remote work in the past. And uh, we discovered that like it can be done. You can still have like a nice, solid core team of folks working together towards a common goal, even if you don't see each other face to face every day. So um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're around. I would imagine you probably wouldn't have thought back in 2014 when, when No Evil Foods started that this is kind of how things would be now. Um, can you tell us sort of the, the, the shortened you know, origin story and how No Evil Foods began 
Yes. Um, well, I, I always say that it started on a dirt road and it started with a relationship problem. So um, for anyone who doesn't know, the company was actually co-founded by myself and my co-founder, who's also my life partner and the father of our kids. Um, and we started the company together. So fortunately, it was not a relationship problem that the two of uh, us were having. Um, but it was, you know, we, we had moved from Philadelphia to a dirt road in upstate New York, and we were trying to understand where food came from in a deeper way than we ever had before. Um, and I was raised a vegetarian. And I always just sort of lived that life um, without a lot of deep analysis. Um, but at that point of our, our existence, we started really analyzing everything and we're making everything from scratch. We're like, you know, mixing up our own deodorant in a little basement bathroom, like making our own toothpaste, everything, growing our own vegetables. But like, we're still going to the store and buying these super heavily processed plant-based meats. And when we started to look at that in the same way that we were looking at everything else, we're like, yo, back up a minute. Like these aren't, yes, they're, they're vegan. Yes. They're plant-based. They like check one box, but like, they're not really based from plants. I don't know what they're made from. Hmm. They're loaded in all sorts of things that I'm trying to cut out in every other area of my life. Like, does this really make sense? So that drove me to literally pull ingredients off of our pantry shelf that we purchased at a local co-op and tried to build a better plant meat that, you know, was more sustainable from an ingredient standpoint that was better for people. So we're, you know, reshaping our systems of eating and not kind of falling back into plant-based versions of the same problems that we've had for eons. Um, and that obviously was really good for the environment too. And kind of, you know, as we got closer to the earth and started growing our ingredients from the ground up, not that we used in our products, but ingredients for our lives that we were really growing um, and nurturing from the start, we wanted something that would sustain that planet for years to come. You believe that you were always destined to be an entrepreneur and, um, you know, <laughs> uh, in general, you know, what, what really made No Evil Foods kind of take that first step? What, what were sort of those first couple steps with with the business? Well, I think to answer your first question, yes. Um, I think one way or the other, I would have ended up doing things myself um, through an entrepreneurial kind of path. Um, I've always had a unconventional life. Um, I was raised on a dirt road in upstate New York. I was homeschooled. I was raised vegetarian. Um, just from the get-go, my parents did things differently. They raised family um, and raised their children to think differently about the world, um, to not shy away from or um, be afraid to sort of forge your own path. And I think they all were also small business owners. Um, they you know, my dad had a wood stove and fireplace store that I kind of, I learned how to do math by operating his cash register. Um, and then my mom had a small country furniture and accessories store that I spent a lot of time working in and merchandising and stickering items. And um, I think seeing both of my parents go through the ups and downs of, of having a, a small business, of being a business owner, um, of raising a family on their own terms while living their life in the way that they found um, suited them best and aligned most with their values really resonated with me. And I think that I, even if I tried to fight it, it, it was never going to go any other way for me. I'm just too much of a, a fiercely independent thinker that um, I just, I, I have a vision for the world and I feel this like deep need or inclination to align the world with my vision, you know, even if it's, you know, I, I, it's not like I'm closed-minded and it has to be only one way. Um, but when I think that there's such pressing realities of the world that we need to address that are impacting people across the globe. Um, I feel like a personal sense of responsibility to take action on those things. And so um, I think entrepreneurship for me is, is the outlet for a lot of those feelings. Um, how it started in terms of, you know, getting from the dirt road basement kitchen that we made the products into, you know, Whole Foods and Sprout stores uh, nationwide was um, a little 
more of a, a slow and I guess, again, a nonlinear transition um, or nonlinear path. We were, both Mike and I were living in Asheville. We had relocated from New York, uh, chasing the sun, thinking we were gonna like have this wonderful little sustainable home life. Um, and we were working in, in restaurants and, and bartending and serving to sort of supplement our income, doing a small CSA on the side that we were selling to the community. Um, but we wanted to do something bigger. We both had this desire to give back in a bigger way. Um, and we would serve our plant meats that we would make for home use to our family and to our friends. And we realized that we could really bring people together from our friends who were vegan and vegetarian, but now being in the South, many more people who were not vegan and vegetarian who would come to our house and everyone was like, this, this is really good. Um, and that just started kind of, it was just a little inkling in the back of our head for a couple of years until finally we were sitting on the back porch one day and thinking like, Hey, do we really just want to be bartenders and servers for the rest of our lives? And that's a very admirable lifestyle. We loved living it. It allowed us to travel, allowed us to save money, have a lot of flexibility over our schedules. But when we really took a, a deep look inside and thinking about what do we want to give, it was more than just a wonderful craft beer. We really wanted to give something else to our local community um, and to the, the larger community. And so we decided to start small and take our products to the farmer's market. Um, and that was April of 2014. Within a few months of um, our first farmer's market where we sold out, we started getting uh, phone calls from local retailers who had customers asking for our products. And so we started getting into a couple small co-ops and other uh, independent retailers. And then in about um, eight or nine months, we were locally available at Whole Foods. And then it kind of just snowballed and continued to grow and accelerate from there. Wow. I'm approaching, approaching eight years now. It's, it's incredible. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, for those listeners who don't know, uh, what is No Evil Foods? What are what are the products? Uh, what exactly are are you are you creating? Uh, and how have how has the you know your products changed over time? What have been sort of the the core uh, the core product line? And and you know where are you at now with that? Yeah, minor details. What do we do? Um, <laughs> so No Evil Foods makes. Um, meat from plants. Essentially, we make plant-based meats from simple AF ingredients. So those are animal-free ingredients. I don't know what you were thinking, Eric, but definitely stands for animal-free. Um, but uh, it, how they've changed over the years is, is really, I think, the most notable thing about how our products changed is that it hasn't changed. Um, they were made in a home kitchen, and we have just scaled up those home kitchen recipes um, to produce more of them. We're still small batch. We're still batch-oriented in our processes. Um, and so we're still using really high-quality ingredients. We're still chef driven. Um, and I think that we still stand for a, a healthy product that um, has incredible texture and the best macros that you can find in plant-based meat. So we don't, in one of our new products kind of um, diverts from this, but in all of our existing products on the line right now, we don't add any oils um, to our products. So it's very, very low fat. Um, it's very, very low carb and it's incredibly high in protein. We're also using blended proteins from a combination of chickpeas and grains. So a grain and legume blend, which creates all of the essential amino acids. So from a, a nutritional, a macro nutrient uh, standpoint um, and a taste and texture, we're so chef and culinary driven and nutritionally focused that um, it's a really unique place to be in plant-based meats. And I think, you know, I've been eating your products for a long time. You know, it's been a staple of mine for, for many years and it is simple, right? You look at, you, you look at, you look at the nutritional profile and it, it is simple ingredients that you can read. And uh, I think that giving that option to consumers compared to what is out there 
is extremely advantageous and you have kept it simple. You haven't had this huge line of products and, and too many different categories. So I think it's been a, a smart move on your play. You, um, you also, you, you've been a leader, I'd say, when it comes to sustainability. Can you tell us about your plastic negative initiative and why is it so important to know evil foods to do that? Yeah, uh, well, we're really, really proud of being a plastic negative company. We were um, the world's first plastic negative plant-based meat brand through a partnership with an organization. It's a global organization called Repurpose Global. Um, and it was important to us because I think, you know, our mission statement includes the health of the planet as well as the health of people. Um, and I think oftentimes when we think about the health of people, um, we're only considering that from an ingredient standpoint, um, you know, making sure that we're creating nutrient dense products um, that contribute to lower risks of dietary illnesses, you know, um, heart disease, diabetes, things like that. Um, it was important for Noebel Foods to broaden our scope a little bit and think about health, not only in terms of um, ingredients or access um, to healthy food, um, but also packaging and how that impacts not only the health of the planet um, in terms of air, water, land pollution, but also who is impacted by our usage of plastic and being a food product and a frozen and refrigerated food product at that, it was really, really challenging for us to get rid of plastic altogether. So I did a deep dive into all of the various options and really started to categorize them and try to figure out what the best path was. So, you know, on the one hand, there's like virgin plastic. And then you're like, well, that's no good because that's, you know, comes straight from petroleum and it's, you know, made brand new. So maybe I'll do recyclable plastic that can also be recycled. And you think, well, that's great, but only 8% of plastic actually gets recycled and or 9% of plastic and then 91% of plastic ends up in landfills or ends up uh, in oceans and other um, eco ecological environments. Um, and then you're thinking, well, okay, bio-based plastic, like that's the way to go, except the waste management for bio-based hasn't really been developed yet. So even though you're not putting petroleum into the front end of it, the back end, you're likely to just have these products either contaminate the uh, recycling stream if they end up getting recycled, or they end up in a landfill anyway. So, you know, it's mind boggling. And, and, and one of the things that I finally came to was, all right, I can't get away from plastic yet. I need a stable supply chain for my manufacturing. I need it to run on my existing manufacturing line. So what do I do? And I found this organization um, that could help us be a plastic negative brand. So the way that that works is for every pound of plastic that we create in our packaging or through our packaging, they facilitate the recovery and removal of 200% of our plastic waste from natural ecosystems. Um, they've got uh, organizations around the world that help them execute on this. Um, we have a partner organization in India where we um, uh, help uplift 40 um, families there, help remove them from scavenge, uh, scavenge waste economies to formalized waste sectors. And our um, relationship with Repurpose Global also helps develop the infrastructure because a lot of the plastic, if you don't know, that we create here in the United States doesn't stay on our shores. It gets shipped to the global south. And um, that's a really big problem that we're really not focused on in plant-based or any other uh, industry. And I think that that's something we need to turn our heads um, towards a little more uh, direct. It's so interesting, right? I think it's, you know, within the vegetarian and, and vegan consumer community, there's so much focus on like, what are we supporting that we are being that is being hidden from us, right? It's like, 
Um, you know, would you consume something? You know, the whole glass wall thing, right? If 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 factory farms had 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 glass walls and you could, or I don't know if that's the exact language, and you could see what was happening. Yeah. It's sort of the same thing, I think, with so many other things, like especially with plastic. Like, it's so easy to just consume and to not think about where that's going. And sure, like, oh, of course, like I'm in I'm in a, an urban city in 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 the U.S. Of course, they recycle. If I, you know, it's just so much more complicated than that. And I think that that initiative that you've really really just like tackled and like made an important part of what you do is is really impressive so congratulations on that yeah i mean i just think it's so important that we put food like food systems at the forefront of combating the environmental crisis and not just from an ingredient standpoint i think that we have to right. start now that we're like you know the competition has increased so much in the plant-based category there's so many new brands entering like not that there's not more work to do there, but I think that we need to now sort of take the next steps at how do we address these other problems that are also very, very pressing. It's like creating a standard, right? Yeah, around right. like how business should be done. <laughs> yeah. So we've covered a few basics now. We're getting we're getting familiar with with no evil foods. Um, I mean, yeah, you've it, it, like I said a second ago, eight years now. Um, you know, like I said a second ago as well, it's been a staple, something I've been eating for 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 many years as a company, just being around that long, surely there's been some ups and downs, right? At being an entrepreneur and being a startup is not easy. Um, you know, what are some challenges that no evil foods has faced over, over the years and that you, that you can share with us and how do you push through? How do you, how do you keep your head up and how do you just get up the next day and, and, and fight through what, what, what have some of, what have some of those challenges been? And, you know, what advice do you have to other people going through, you know, just being a startup for that consistency over the years is, is really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, being in a in company and as a business operating, um, for, for eight years is, it feels like an eternity, but it also is like a blink of the eye because in our category, especially, um, you know, we started in 2014, it was a very different category when we started in 2014 versus how it looks now. And the challenges that we experienced then are very different than the challenges that we face now as a more established brand. Um, and some of those choices that we made in 2014, um, you know, may have impacted some of the choices that we had to make later that in hindsight, you know, we've, we've learned great lessons from. So I think that it's, it's a great question. And I think that the um, you know, the early challenges that we had were like, where do we make our product? How do we um, do very basic things? How do we get distribution? How do we um, mark up our products for retail? You know, some of those very business nitty gritty operational things. Um, the problems become different as you grow when you start bringing on a team. Um, but I think one of the most challenging, definitely, and everything feels the most challenging at the time. So ask me again in eight more years, and this might seem like small potatoes, but hopefully not. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that we had to reinvent our business basically from, from the start after eight years of building, of um, gaining distribution of um, adoption from our consumers, of enthusiasm from our customers. Um, after eight years of working really, really hard to push and grow this business, we sort of had to start again from scratch. And, you know, many businesses have to do it. Um, it happens at all different stages for companies for all different reasons, um, you know, to stay relevant, to compete, to grow. There's, you know, a number of reasons that you may have to do that. But for us, us it's definitely the biggest challenge we face because, quite honestly, our, our company, the foundation that we built for our business was unsustainable. And we were hitting a lot of the environmental sustainability pieces. Um, a lot of the mission 
pieces, a lot of these things were right, but there were a lot of things that were more foundational to a long-term sustainable operation of a business that were really not not right. They were upside down. And so, you know, despite the growth that we've experienced, despite how successful, you know, we may have looked from the outside in the marketplace, our company was built with these huge gaps in it. You know, we, we didn't have our margins uh, locked down. They weren't strong enough margins. Um, we were burning a lot of cash. Um, we were running our own operational facility that had excess capacity that, you know, was running us into the ground and we were spending more money to operate our facility than we were bringing in. Um, our marketing spends were not optimized in the right way. We were sort of spending really high in the funnel where we should have been bringing the spending down lower in the funnel. Um, our sales strategy was not as refined. Like there were just a lot of sort of perfect storm pieces that added up. Um, and despite all that, we had such early uh, success raising capital because of we were growing at the same time. And, and it's often um, expected that a company that was growing at, as fast as we were will be burning significant amounts of cash. That's kind of like, it's it's a formula that, that works sometimes. Um, but then when COVID hit, the formula was no longer working. Um, we, our growth started to stall. Um, our manufacturing started to like exceed cost. We had to do a lot of additional costs for, through COVID to keep the manufacturing running. Um, retailers stopped resetting their stores. They stopped taking on new products. So new innovation couldn't come to market. Um, we had no more access to our field marketing um, or like demonstration grocery store demo opportunities. So we couldn't get our food into the mouths of people and make them believers in the same way. Um, and so all of that sort of confounded um, to this moment where those factors coupled on top of having some anticipated funding come through, we were in a really tough place and we had no choice but to completely pivot and completely reinvent. And I think that that's for sure, hands down to this day, the biggest learning that we've done um, as business owners, and I'm speaking for Mike too, but definitely for myself, uh, yeah. biggest, biggest uh, learning that I've done, um, the biggest challenge and test of my belief in what we're doing um, and the, just the, if we hadn't started eight years ago in a kitchen and done it so DIY and grassroots and, um, bootstrapped as we had, we wouldn't know how to do it again now. And I think having had that first experience building a company positions us even better to rebuild and rebuild it better than ever before. Um, and, you know, to your question about what keeps us going, it's that vision. It's that belief that like this needs to happen. It's that entrepreneurial spirit that like, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to shake things up. I'm here to make positive changes. I'm here to save animals. I'm here to drink coffee all day. Like these are the things I'm about. <laughs> and just, just like, we got to just lean into our why and, um, and just keep focused on, on that. And that's what keeps us going. It's hard. I mean, like oh, those, so those mornings of, of, of getting up and like relying on a mission or, or, or a passion, it's not going to necessarily be there every day, right? It's not necessarily going to be the energy that you need every single day. But when it, I feel like when, 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 when small teams and entrepreneurs, you know, I actually just was on a, another interview and that was basically what the founder had said was that if you're going to start something, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, make sure it is something that you believe in, mm -hmm. because that will probably be the only thing that will get you through some of those moments. So, um, you know, you all have pulled through, 
um, you know, I'm sure that you have some other, um, some more learnings, uh, you know, on the horizon yes. as well. <laughs> um, so I, I'm really happy um, to, to say that you were, you were able to secure a little bit of funding with Vivolution and our investment marketplace uh, in 2021. So you were able to connect with New Dawn Capital. Um, can you kind of just overview sort of the, the timeline or how fundraising has been recently? Um, just guide us through sort of that, that, that period, like what that was like and kind of where you're at now with, yeah, with, with um, everything. Yeah, of course. Uh, I love Bevolution platform, by the way. I think we'll, we can t- <laughs> chat more about it, but I, I just think it's so great what you've built, uh, built and I'm um, excited to have, you know, secured funding on the platform. It's such an easy process, but, um, you know, we worked with New Dawn or we had posted our round, I think early in 2020, um, actually, and and had that investment come in. Um, we more recently had a bridge round um, of capital in late 2021. It came from a combination of new um, and existing um, investors, and some of them, I believe, are participants in the program for sure. Um, they're already on the platform, um, but that really supported us in this reinvention and relaunching our manufacturing, um, going through a pretty in-depth rebranding and packaging um, revolution. <laughs> um, it allowed us to um, just bridge this this gap that we were be, um, facing between, you know, that, that COVID stall and the um, heavy spends of a high growth company. You need growth capital to sustain yourself. And um, the platform really enabled us to connect with people who are interested in, in supporting us um, in that way. Hey, Eric here. Thanks for listening. A quick word from our sponsor, Plant Belly. There are so many vegan grocery products out there nowadays, and it's amazing. But with all these options comes a lot of trial and error to find the best of the best. It happens to all of us. You buy something that ends up being a little disappointing. But what if you could have all the best vegan products put together in one place and shop them easily on your phone or from home? That's where plantbelly.com comes in. It's a new online vegan grocery store that delivers highly curated plant-based foods right to your door. Plant Belly has hands down the best selection of outstanding plant-based foods I've ever seen. I especially love that you can shop by ethos to find brands owned by women or BIPOC makers. I, for example, always search the latest seafood or deli products. It's a great selection. Plantbelly.com is a team of foodies, vegans, and passionate supporters of small batch makers. And they've handpicked only the tastiest plant-based eats to feature on plantbelly.com. You can use code VEVOLUTION to get 20% off your first order at plantbelly.com. That's V-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N to get 20% off your first order when you visit plantbelly.com. Now back to the show. Are there any... I want to get to that sort of sort of the new branding and some of the things that are happening now in a second. But, you know, any any fundraising best practices that you wish you would have known before you started, whether it was like early on a few years back or whether it was the last, you know, last couple of years, uh, any any fundraising, you know, kind of tips for aspiring entrepreneurs or startups who are about to pursue that. It's 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 tough. It's not it's it not is, the easiest thing in yeah. the world. You know, what if what have you learned? And it's maybe your case is a little particular with 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 your scenario. But yeah, any any best practices would be great to hear. Yeah, well, I mean, we've done a number of rounds. Um, We've done, you know, the friends and family, we've done sort of the seed round, uh, you know, so we've had a couple of rounds of capital and 
and starting out, we we didn't know anything about it. To be totally honest, um, first time entrepreneurs, um, even though I can't come from a you know entrepreneurial family, it wasn't the growth capital you know intensive type of <laughs> business building. It's you know small family mom and pop stores, so the very different worlds, um, and it's it's a difficult world, and it can be really intimidating um, to understand all of the language, all of the ins and outs. So there's a lot of things that we've learned over the years, and I could probably go on and on about it. But I think for young companies who are just starting out, I think one of the best pieces of, of advice I can give is, is there's particularly in this category, it is so quick growing and it is um, there's so much attention on it that it seems like VC or, or private equity is the only route to go. Um, and for some, sometimes it is, sometimes that makes the most sense. But for, for other occasions, I think that there's a non-dilutive option that might be really good for you that helps you get that little cash infusion that you need to get to your next revenue plateaus, your next revenue kind of threshold, so that when you do go out for private equity or um, you know VC money, you can have a better valuation. You know, you, you can sustain yourself and, and fund yourself a little bit longer in a non-dilutive way so that you can position yourself better when you do need to help that actually take on um, you know, equity capital. So that's one thing. We did a little bit of that through a couple grants and other programs, but um, I think there's a lot of options there um, that didn't exist in 2014 that are available now and I think could be really good for uh, good opportunities for earlier um, entrepreneurs. Um, as you do start to take on capital and you're building your board, a lot of times that period in your growth when you're bringing on capital aligns with your, um, you know, the, the period where you're building your board. And oftentimes it's required by your investors to, to have a board. Um, I think it's really important to make sure that your board is not entirely filled with investors. So make sure you keep a couple seats open for independent board members. Um, Second to that, I think you should make sure that you have a, a completely separate independent advisory board that are people that you admire in the industry, people who share your values, who are aligned with your mission, um, who don't really have any skin in the game, so to speak, but just are there to bounce ideas off of, to support, um, and to you know really provide guidance um, um, because they just want the best for what's what your, your company because your missions and values are aligned. Um, and then this is not specific to fundraising, but I think it's like good advice for early entrepreneurs and late entrepreneurs, everybody is like, and it's not easy, but you have to face like the tough truth, right? Like there's harsh realities that happen in your business. There's, you know, people you hire that didn't work out the way that you wanted them to. There's just all sorts of things, but the longer that you hide from those harsh realities and that you don't take them head on, um, I think the worse or the the more difficult um, and compounded the problem becomes. And I think it can be very hard to admit to yourself that something's wrong with your business. You know, you're all you're always working as hard as you can. Like you're busting your butt. You're waking up even on the days you don't want to. Like you're doing everything. Like pouring your guts into this thing. And so it's hard to be like, all right, that's that's not the right path. That's not the right choice. That's not the right decision. Um, but I think we all need to practice like saying that out loud and saying, I was wrong. This was wrong. We, should, we can do this better, we can do this differently. And being humble and honest enough to say those things, push through the difficulty of like making that decision because um, it can be very, very hard sometimes. Um, and then move forward like to the right direction and, and, and get to the positive thing and the positive outcome quicker. I think admission to whatever is happening and facing the beast or whatever you want to call it, it's so much harder, like it feels so much harder in the moment but I feel like it hyper accelerates where you're really going to go. 
right? You're going to be able to take, it feels like you're, you're taking a step back, but really like you just went up a staircase because if you don't, like you said, like (laughs) it just, it does compound. And I, I, I totally agree with you saying, and, and, and I, I think startups, entrepreneurs have a hard time probably admitting something is wrong. You're right. We're all, we're all passionate and, and want to control the situation. So it's hard to do. Yeah. Well, there's, there's so much on the line. Yeah. There's so much on the line. There's so much external pressure that you feel that like, you don't want to admit a mistake sometimes. And I think that it's really important that we, um, that's where the growth happens. You don't grow in your comfort zone. You know, you grow and you stretch from those difficult moments and, and like pushing through the sticky stuff. No, it's, it's, you're totally right. And more, more companies need to hear from, from each other and from other founders and realize that that, that is the case. Um, I want to ask you about, so you, you've been in your role for a long time. How has your role changed over the years? Um, I would imagine that your responsibilities have kind of, uh, come and gone with different things that you're working on, uh, and as different leadership enters, enters the team, how do you kind of let go of, of some of those things? How do you empower other teammates um, to really just become a better version of, of you, of Sadra? Yeah, well, my role has has looked a lot of different ways over the years, um, you know, from farmer's market worker to, um, you know, early website design builder to, you know, packaging designer, um, production worker, you know, I've done all of the things, recipe developer, all, all, all the things. I think I've worked in every area of the company, you know, starting from a really small team and, and building out team members um, to where I am today, where, uh, you know, I am a co-founder. So that's kind of my hands are in everything, but I'm also just the, the chief creative officer, which is a fairly big bucket um, that encompasses kind of broad vision for the mission, the vision, the values of the company, um, how we present in the world, what our packaging looks like, what our voice looks like. Um, I'm the you know, create content creator for social media. Um, and I think that the business is so much a reflection of, of me and my personality and my core mm-hmm. being um, in so many ways, even just the fact that like it's a vegan company and this is like a lifelong commitment of mine, like to even in, as, as, as down to that, um, this company is in a lot of ways me. I think that it comes to demonstrating with authenticity as much as possible for our team and showing up in like our true selves um, and trying to like let go of some of that business formality. Um, it doesn't mean we don't take things seriously, but like I often refer to myself as the rodeo clown um, because, you know, business, businesses, and I don't know if anyone on my team knows besides Mike that I refer to myself as that, but <laughs> surprise. Um, but, you know, there, there's all these, you know, heavy conversations or deep discussions. And sometimes like you need to lighten it up. And I'm the one on the comedic relief. And I just, I'm the one that I just am who I am and I'm not going to be anybody different. And I think that through, being exactly who I am and showing up exactly in myself at, at as many opportunities as I can, it inspires and encourages others to do the same. And I hope that our teams feel welcome to show up in their quirky, authentic, unique selves, because I think that's what makes our team special. That's like what makes the world special is when everyone can just be who they are. Um, and I think it's important to build those spaces for people where um, you don't feel pressured into this box of, you know, suits and you can really just show up with your green hair and say that this is who I am, this is what I believe, and demonstrate through your actions and your practices that you are a responsible business leader, that you are a um, caring individual, that you are someone who um, is building a better world and show that through your words and through your actions as much as possible. And then the rest doesn't matter. 
especially with this with a small team especially when you're trying to bring on top talent allowing them to breathe allowing them to be who they are like it's important it's extremely vital and i think that you know um even myself as becoming a co-founder more recently you know i've sometimes i lose that sense of I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be doing that. So that means I can't act this way, but it's important to hang on to, you have to be who you are. Otherwise you can, you probably aren't going to have a lot of fun. It's exhausting to be somebody else. It's so exhausting. Just, yeah. just be you. <laughs> yeah. So you have this, the, the, this kind of, uh, new, 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 no evil foods a little bit. You have some new packaging, some new branding and a new product. Like what's, what's going on? What's new? What can, what can we expect from no evil foods this year and, and kind of beyond what, what can you share with us? Well, we are really excited. Um, I mean, I think the last two years have been like deep hibernation for us where, you know, like the rest of the world world, we were kind of just laying low and trying to find our new sense of equilibrium again. And I think, you know, like everyone else, we're sort of, we're waking up and our company is reawakening and we're stepping forward and back into the industry um, with a little bit of just a different mindset, a shifted optimism, um, a deeper focus on who we are as a company, um, how we show up in the world. Uh, I think deepening our environmental commitments is something that we're going to really continue um, to educate on and to um, stand up for. Um, I'm on the board of the Plant-Based Food Association, uh, and I, we just started the committee, and I'm the co-chair of the Sustainability Committee with like rock star industry um, people who, who are really committed to this work. So I think that's going to become a bigger part for No Evil Foods. The packaging actually um, is more sustainable than ever. So um, we're now using, um, we're still plastic negative certified, but we're now using sustainable forestry initiative paperboard, which reduced our greenhouse gases um, environmental toxicity and human health burden by over 80% by making that shift. And so leaning into data so that we can really have an understanding of um, not just what our assumptions are for sustainability or our beliefs of what we think is most sustainable, but actually having the data to back that up um, is really critical for our work. Um, deepening our relationships in food access um, and food justice, I think is something that we're um, putting more effort into with initiatives like the Plantega project and a, a newer um, uh, partnership we've done with a very small company called Good Bowls. Um, but, you know, deepening our mission, refining our focus and stabilizing. And I think it's just, it's been such a, um, a few years of upheaval for the world, uh, but for our company specifically. And I think that this is our year to, you know, rebuild stabilize, um, focus on who we are, what we do, do it well, and then um, have a, you know, a, a continued um, bit of growth into the next year. Well, I love, I, I love your products. I love everything that you, that you all stand for. You've, you've done so much um, good in the world and in the industry. Um, I'm so happy that you found a little success with evolution. I hope we can continue to support each other. Um, I have one last really important question for you. Um, if you had to pick um, a couple, like one or two, you know, of your favorite ways to eat and to use your own product of no evil foods, what dishes are they? And, and how do you, what's your go-to? Oh, well, you're not supposed to have favorite children. So I can't pick favorite products, but I can, <laughs> I can, I can pick favorite uh, dishes for sure. Um, yes. yes. Chorizo, chorizo, chorizo all day long. Um, <laughs> 
Not that that's my favorite child, it's not. Um, but uh, I love chorizo tacos. It's so easy, it's such a quick like weeknight meal. I've got two kids, um, six and under, and so it's really easy to just throw that together on a weeknight and feed the family. Um, and then I love our chicken in curries and stir fry. Uh, it stretches a long way. It's a great way to make like load a bunch of vegetables plus your protein up into a dish. Um, and then uh, our brand new product is like the kids ask for it all the time. It's called Best Life Beef. And they keep demanding that I bring more home and as a brand new um, plant-based beef strip. And I think that that is uh, going to become a really big new home favorite for stir fries. And uh, kids just like to fry it up and eat it plain. So that one's going to be a hit. Well, I am officially starving now. <laughs> I definitely need to uh, to try the new product. I'm so excited. Um, thank you for, for being here, for sharing a little bit about you, um, you know, what you've overcome and, uh, and your successes. So thank you, Sadra. Best of luck to No Evil Foods this year. And thanks for being on the Plant-Based Business Podcast. Thanks, Eric. Hello, Eric here, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Plant-Based Business Podcast brought to you by us here at Vivolution. We're building the world's leading plant-based and set lag community and marketplace. Head on over to www.vevolution.com to join our marketplace of investors and startups building solutions for a brighter future. In 2021, more than 25 startups secured partial or full round funding on Vivolution. And if you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a positive review. And please consider sharing it on your preferred social media channels. It really helps more people discover the positive stories we're sharing from around the world. Please give us a shout and tag us when you tell others about the podcast. You can find us on all social media channels at Vivolution. And you can email us at hello at Vivolution.com if you want to reach out. We love hearing from our listeners. As always, thank you to Bridie Allison Child, who edits the podcast, and all of our guests and you, our listeners, for supporting the show. See you next time.